0: Last week we started a new series called Spiritual Urban Legends, and if an urban legend is a belief or a story or a bit of folklore that gets passed around as fact, a spiritual urban legend is the spiritual equivalent. It's an idea that sounds good, it may even contain a bit of truth, but in the end it fails, and spiritual urban legends have been along, around a long time. Some of them are so familiar that they're seldom questioned, and it's often impossible to refute because everybody knows that they're true except that they're not, or at least partially not. Last week, we talked about the idea that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, except when it's not. And this week, we're taking up another spiritual urban legend. And at this time, it's the idea that God has a blueprint for your life, a specific detailed plan for your life about what you're to do in any and every situation. I don't know when I first heard the idea, but I remember by the time I was in middle school, I was already anxious and convinced that I needed to spend time, significant time, trying to figure out what God's will for me was in every situation. And I went to sometimes ridiculous extremes. For example, I would pray about which direction to walk to class through the high school building. I think it had to do with wanting to bump into girls that I knew that I thought maybe I had a crush on. I I remember sometimes I had two options for Friday night, and I would pray about which one to do. I think that also had something to do with whichever girl I liked and hoping she'd be at whatever choice I made. Now, if you're troubled by the inner workings of a teenage brain, know that the most important thing and the thing I probably prayed about the most was what to do after high school. I was a lackluster student, Um, I would turn things around a few years, it wasn't because I didn't have ability, I just didn't have a lot of motivation as a 16, 17-year-old. I was never on any most likely to succeed in high school lists, but as I mentioned last week, I think because my parents were concerned that I would end up, you know, I don't know, destitute or something, they suggested that I consider the military, and so I thought about, well, maybe I'll talk to the Air Force. So I went and I met with a recruiter. I took their exam. I did really well on the exam. The guy told me I could do anything I wanted to do except fly because my eyes weren't good. And um, so I started talking to him. He suggested I get the physical taken care of, maybe sign up for basic training that summer. Um, and I, deep down inside, I, I was hesitating because I, I didn't want to join the Air Force. But I had heard over the years another spiritual urban legend that maybe we'll take up in the future, and that is the idea that usually the thing you least want to do is the thing God most wants you to do. And so I thought I needed to pray about this and ask God what to do. I asked for a strong inner sense of what it was I was to do in the situation. And I prayed and I prayed and I worried. I worried that if I, uh, I worried that God would tell me to join, and I worried that if he didn't tell me to join or if I chose wrong, then I wouldn't fully be in God's will again. I knew that if I messed up and took the wrong path, that I'd end up with the wrong wife, the wrong kids, and the wrong house, living in the wrong city with the wrong dog, and it goes on and on from there. So I prayed and I prayed, but I never got a distinct impression about what I was supposed to do. And time went on, the clock is ticking, graduation's getting closer and closer, and I have to make a decision. And so I decided, and I called the recruiter and told him that I was not gonna join. And my immediate feeling was one of relief because I didn't want to join. And yet, for months, even years, I had this nagging suspicion that maybe God wanted me to join the Air Force and I had missed God's will for my life. Now, as I mentioned last week when I shared this same idea, for several years, anytime things got tough, I would wonder whether if I joined the Air Force, life would be a little bit easier. Now, what I had in the background was this concept of the idea of God having a blueprint for my life. So what I believed is that God had a detailed, specific, and perfect plan for my life, that my job was to find it, that God would reveal his will to me through inner impressions and outward signs that would guide me toward his will. And that once I made a decision, I'd have this sort of inner peace, um, this impression that God had revealed his will to me and I would be perfectly um, calm and relaxed. But is this really true? Does God really have a detailed plan for our lives, a specific plan in any and every situation? And I came to the conclusion that God doesn't. And I'll explain as we go through this um, why I think that is. Let me just first mention, though, some practical reasons why this doesn't make sense. And the first reason is because what do we do about all of the ordinary decisions we have to make each day? Um, social scientists have looked at human beings and how many decisions they make, and at a minimum, you make 100 or maybe 200 or 300. Some people make as many as 1,000 decisions a day. If you add that up over time, that's an incredible burden to try to figure out whether or not you're doing God's will. Another question has to do with equal options. You know, the times when you have a choice between two things that are different but equally, it at least on the surface, to be equally good. If God has one will for you in every situation, how do you choose between things that are equal? Or what about immature decisions? Now, of course, you would never make an immature decision at all, right? But maybe someone you love, someone you're close to, like a friend or a child, is tempted to make an unwise decision. And sometimes what they do is claim that God is telling them to do it. God's telling me to do this, and you're thinking, it's nuts, You want to scream. And a related difficulty, this whole process seems so subjective. And while we'd all like direct guidance from God, it seems risky to base a decision on a subjective feeling rather than objective fact. Now, I should just acknowledge right here that um, some of you here today may not be followers of Jesus Christ. You might be here because a friend invited you or you're checking things out. And this blueprint idea, when you hear it, you're thinking, that is absolutely nuts, I mean, that sounds like the Christian equivalent of reading tea leaves. And you may even have had a friend at some point in the past who claimed direct guidance from God, and then you watched them make the most foolish decision that you've ever watched anyone make. And so this may even be a reason why you're hesitating in deciding to follow Jesus. You're thinking, do I really have to turn off my brain and throw away the key? And I'm going to say, just hang with us, because I think you'll see a way that does make sense and may not lead to as much fear or anxiety. Now, there is a tension here, and that is that the implication of this blueprint idea is that God has a specific will in every situation, spouse, car, house, pair of shoes, and everything in between. But it's a hard way to live. It actually can be a very fearful way to live because you wonder, if I make a mistake, if I miss God's will, uh, you know, you begin to be paralyzed, you hesitate, you overthink decisions, sometimes even reject uh, reasonable and acceptable options because you're looking for God's perfect will. And it makes daily decision-making almost impossible. With all the decisions you make in a day, how can you take time to evaluate everything? You know, do you choose Cheerios for breakfast or eggs? I think Cheerios probably, but or Starbucks or Caribou. All of this makes life very complicated, and so you spend a great deal of time looking for what God's will is in specific situations, in spouse, car, college, everything. Kathy and I once were uh, with uh, at someone's home for dinner, a family that we knew, and the wife shared with us before dinner that she was trying to make. What for her, was a very difficult decision, and that was whether or not which dictionary to buy for her kids for their schooling. And I thought, wow, that's. And, and then she began to describe all the options, and she asked my opinion, and I said, "Well, I think newspapers use the Webster's Collegiate Dictionary inside." I was just thinking, just buy one. And finally, when I told her Webster's Collegiate, she said, "I'll pray about it." And I wanted to scream. (laughs) And then there's the question about mistakes. Since none of us are perfect, and sometimes we make unwise decisions, sometimes even rebellious decisions, what do we do if we make a decision that we end up knowing is wrong, maybe at the time or maybe in the future, and we realize that now we have missed God's plan A, and probably we're not even on B or C, we may be on Z. In other words, we're sunk, in the end, sometimes it ends up raising questions about God. If God's will is so important, why is it so elusive? So I've come to the conclusion that this blueprint idea is a myth, but it leaves us with a frightening existential crisis. If we don't have a blueprint, then are we simply on our own? You would say, well, really, God, can't you just at least give me a few hints? So is there an alternative And I believe there is one that makes better sense of the biblical data than the blueprint idea and one that makes more practical sense of our lives. At best, I think what it does is gives us the guidance we need to make the important decisions that we need to make along the way. Now, to explain this, at least from the Bible, what I wanna do is use an example from the life of St. Paul. Uh, let me just tell you that uh, the book of acts is a book written by a man named luke and it describes the growth of the early christian church after jesus died rose again and ascended into heaven it tells how the christian church began to spread and one of the, th- the transition points is when the church quit being just a group of Jew- jews who had decided that jesus was the messiah and it began to spread outside the nation uh, the nation of israel outside the area of palestine and began to go to other parts of the world and the key figure in all of this is Paul. Now, I want to look at how Paul led this expansion of the Christian church, in particular, how he made some of his decisions. And the beginning of all of this came in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. So some early Christians in a church in a place called Antioch were together, and it says this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Saul and Bar- Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and sent them off. Now, if you uh, are a proponent of the the blueprint idea of God's will, you say, ah, here's an example, an example where a specific set of a bit of insight was given to these church leaders about who was to be chosen. So does this confirm that the blueprint idea is valid? I want you to hold that question for a moment because I want to just to look at what happens next. So what happens next is that Paul goes from Antioch to Cyprus. This is all in chapter 13. And then he goes to a place called Pisidian Antioch, another city called Antioch, but it's a, it's a different place. And in both of those places, he spoke. In Pisidian Antioch, it says that some came to faith, but some others stirred up trouble and so they had to leave. They went from there to a place called Iconium. Here's what Luke says happened next in, in chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Do you know what, notice what Luke says. He says they went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. So think about that. Then the next chapter, chapter 14, or the continuation in chapter 14, it says they went on to Lystra and Derby. Those are two cities that are very close to each other, kind of like Minneapolis, St. Paul. And again, they preached. And this time, the in, their initial response was very enthusiastic, overly enthusiastic, as it turns out, because some in the community called Paul and his, his, uh, his companions gods. So Paul stopped them. That ended up inciting some opposition. They st- were stoned. That is, they threw rocks at them. They were left for dead, but they weren't, so they left later that day. They returned um, to Antioch um, after taking this little trip And then they later left on a second trip. This time they went to Antioch, to Syria, to Lystra and Derby again. And they started then when they returned the second time to begin to plan plan for a trip to Asia. Now, Asia for them was Turkey. So think of that area of the world. It's then that we have a story that I want to read just a small section from. But before I read it, um, remember that the initial decision that the church in Antioch made to choose Paul and Barnabas came from this special insight from the Holy Spirit, but all of the rest of the decisions that they made were decisions that were based on a strategy they had decided, and it it didn't involve some kind of special um, impressions. They had a strategy, and they pursued it um, consistently. But here, something different happens in Acts chapter 16, and I want to read verses 6 to 10. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Virginia, Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the, Holy, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After had Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is an amazing story. Um, and it's a miraculous story, but it starts with a plan. They were on their way to Asia. They were prevented, though. And we don't know exactly why, but they were. And then he has this vision that they're to go to Macedonia, which, by the way, is in the northern part of Greece. So they left. Now, what's implicit there is made explicit Um, The strategy is made explicit in something Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, 20. He says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel for where Christ was what not known. So he always wanted to go to places where what he calls the gospel, the good news about Jesus was not known, where Christ was not known. He wanted to go. He didn't need to ask a lot of specifics. He went to places that were population centers. He went to places that were adjacent to one another. He just continued on saying, to himself anyway, that wherever he went, he would go where Jesus had not been preached. So there are phrases throughout Acts where it'll say something like, as was his custom, or the, verses I, the words I read in, in chapter 14. He went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. Now, he was sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and Acts chapter 16 is one of those places when he was prevented from going to Asia and was asked and and, uh, directed to go to Macedonia. The reason he left was because what he was being asked to do was consistent with the strategy that he'd already decided was best. So does God have a blueprint for our lives, or are we on our own? And the answer here is that Paul had a strategy. He followed it until circumstances prevented him He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit for redirection. Then he had this unusual experience of this vision and he obeyed. So the question is, how do we find our uh, way of finding God's will in all of this? Well, what I think Paul's story tells us is that we're not on our own. Clearly, God intervened along the way in large and small ways. But I would suggest that the blueprint doesn't exist. It's a myth. God doesn't have a blueprint, but he does have a game plan for our lives. Guidelines and principles and commands that give us freedom and flexibility that allows for adjustment. Now, I do want to address this vision, this issue, because sometimes what many people are hoping for is a flashy, impressive, um, kind of dramatic guidance from God. I'll tell you that after reading the Bible for a number of years, I found that these kinds of experiences are extremely rare and they come in specific instances that I don't think generally fit with our lives. They often come at strategic times in the history of God's story of continuing to reach out to humanity. They come at different points when God has something unique that needs to take place, and so he picks an individual or a person or a group of people, and he gives them some special insight. But it's not normative. It's not something that happens on an ongoing basis. God could do it, but he generally works not through a booming voice, but through principles, through what I would call a way of wisdom that gives us guidance that we need that doesn't leave us grasping in the dark, but it also doesn't mean that we're relying on vague, internal, subjective impressions. So let me suggest six ideas, six different ways that we can go about um, finding God's will in our lives. And the first is to check the Bible. The truth is, is that God has revealed A great deal, probably 90 plus percent of what we need to know in the Bible, the wisdom that we need for facing basic decisions, the guidelines and principles of the Bible. The reality is, is that God's will is not very difficult to understand. It's already been revealed to us. We just need to ask a simple question. Is what I am considering consistent with what is already given me in the Bible? Now, what that means is that we need to know what the Bible says, Fairly regularly around here at City Church, I suggest that it's important, if you want to grow as a Christian, to spend time with God. And that might sound intimidating. It might sound you're going to have to spend hours doing it. And I don't think you have to. I think you can spend 10 to 15 minutes a day. It may grow over time. You may want to spend more time. But spend some time reading a small section of the Bible. Most Bibles today have paragraph headings. It's pretty simple to look and and read a section. Um, Read it and then ask God, what is it that you want me to do? How should I put this into practice in my life? And then pray about the concerns that you have. Pray for people you know who have concerns and go on with your day. What happens is cumulatively over time, you find yourself understanding what the Bible has to say. You don't get it all in one day, but you get it over time as you consistently spend time with God. Secondly, what we need to do in this is obey, obey what we find. Sometimes I think we treat the Bible, the principles we find in the Bible, a little bit like we treat speed limits. You know, it's kind of okay to go a little bit over. We don't want to go too far over. But really, the Bible's given us to obey. It's given us because there is truth there that is in our best interests. The Bible really does care that uh, whether or not we sleep with our girlfriend or live with our boyfriend, it really does care whether we gossip at work or not. God really does care that we do our best work that we can when we're in our jobs, that we not cut corners. He wants us to live within financial limits and treat those that we live with and those that we're around with kindness, not contempt. Obedience is not optional. It suggests that this is the best way for us to live. So the first suggestion is to check the Bible. The second suggestion is to pray for wisdom. We just finished a few weeks ago a series on the book of James, a book that is filled with practical wisdom. And in James chapter one, verse five, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given you. And you may be thinking, well, wait a second, that sounds like asking for some kind of subjective insight. Well, the answer is yes and no to that question because what James is pointing us to is suggesting that we pray, asking that the Holy Spirit guide us. But he's not asking us to do that unilaterally. It has to be combined with other of these ideas. And most importantly, understanding what the Bible has to say. Understanding what the Bible has to say, praying for wisdom. And then if we combine that with the next one, and that is asking for advice. So whenever you're considering an important decision, seek wise advice. You know, talk to the people who know you best. People who you know have made wise decisions in their own lives. Ask them which of the decisions you may be facing may be most consistent with your character, your gifts, your experience, um, your training. And don't just look for people who already agree with you. Sometimes I think people are looking for permission, not looking for God's will. So this doesn't happen very often, but sometimes someone will schedule an appointment with me and they'll ask my opinion and I'll give my advice and then they'll get angry and storm out of my office. And the reason is is because they're not looking for God's will. They're looking for permission for doing whatever it is they want to do. We need to understand that God's will is something that we can find, and often we find that insight from others. Now, sometimes when we do this, we think, oh, what they just said is so basic, it's just common sense. Well, a lot of God's will is common sense. For some reason, we have this idea that if I get some special dramatic or out-of-the-box idea that that's somehow more spiritual. But often God wants us to do something that is just wise. It comes down to simple common-sense principles. Again, those that are consistent with the Bible. Another suggestion is to note circumstances. Now, some with the blueprint view suggest that circumstances are the key to finding God's will. Now, if you've hung around churches, sometimes you'll hear people talk about closed and open doors. That's church speak for opportunities or the lack of opportunities. And the idea that some will say is that an open door, that is an opportunity, must be stepped through. You have, if you get an open door, that's a sign that you ought to go. And a closed door might be something different. Well, to use the metaphor, open and shut doors are not specific guidance from God. They could be. They could just be opportunities but they don't require that you step through. It needs to be combined with other ways of gaining wisdom in making wise decisions. Now, if you've gotten this far, what do you do next? Well, this might surprise you, but I believe the Bible says do what seems best. Obey what you already know. But if the decision that you're about to make is not directly addressed by the Bible, just follow principles of wisdom. Follow John Calvin's advice. Love God and do what you want. If you're surprised, let me just say that in the vast majority of situations we have in our lives, we are given great latitude where we live, what we do. Um, We have great freedom, and God has given us that freedom, and we are free to choose. Years ago, a guy came to see me, and he was really worried he would marry the wrong person. And I knew him a little bit, and I knew knew actually his uh, girlfriend even better and so I asked him some questions. I said, you know, she's a follower of Jesus Christ. And he said, yeah. So you're a person of character? Yep. Um, someone you're compatible with? He said, yeah, I think we are. I said, are you attracted to her? He said, oh, yeah. I said, well, and what are you waiting for? Go ahead and propose. And so about six months later, we did a wedding. I told him, though, that the Bible has a lot more to say about how you live with the person that you're married to than how you choose who you marry. So, the whole thing here, he had over emotionalized it when he was really free to choose the person that he ended up marrying. Now, there are spiritual urban legends embedded underneath other spiritual urban legends, and I've already mentioned the idea that God's will is the last thing that you want to do. That's not true. Often, what God gives us is great freedom to choose what we want to do. As long as it's not something that violates a principle of the Bible, we are given abilities, desires, passions, and we're to use those for him, and we can do, in many cases, what we're, what we're drawn to do. Now, there are times when we have to go against something that we want to do. You know, in other words, if you're facing a situation where it's more convenient to tell a lie than not, you know, don't tell the lie. Or if you're involved um, somehow in helping someone, and it's a messy, awkward, and kind of uh, overburdening situation, you may still need to stick at it. But often, obedience is about pursuing the things that God provides for us that are consistent with our passions and our interests. I started out today by talking about this decision I had to make in high school about whether I would join the Air Force. When I was a senior in college, I came across a book that described the view that I've really shared today, this idea about God's will. Um, And the author laid out a biblical case, a very detailed case for why it is that there isn't a blueprint. There's more of what I would now call a game plan. And he concluded by saying that in areas where the Bible gives no direct command or guidelines or principles, we're free and we're responsible to choose the best course of action. It's okay to do what we want as long as the decision fits with the Bible and it's a wise decision. And when I read that book, I suddenly felt this incredible sense of relief because I realized I no longer needed to feel guilty about not joining the Air Force. There was nothing wrong with the Air Force. It just wasn't for me. And that was okay. So a few years later, I faced another big decision in my life. And this time, I was finishing my MBA at Indiana University. And I had been interviewing with a dozen or more companies. Um, I had several offers. I narrowed it down to two, General Mills and 3M. So I would have ended up here in the Twin Cities either way. I followed all the steps that we have talked about. I even wrote out a list of pros and cons for both companies. And I figured out that they were equal but different options. And so I had to choose. So how did I choose? Well, I decided that marketing cereal was a lot more interesting than marketing Post-it notes and scotch tape, and so I chose General Mills. Wasn't a particularly sophisticated decision in the end, but I felt that I was free to choose. Now, what would have happened to my life if I had chosen 3M? Well, it would be different. I might be doing something very different today, or I might be doing something similar, I don't know. Ironically, when I started uh, at General Mills, my wife worked for 3M. It's a big company. I doubt we would have met. Um, That's okay, although I'm really glad that it worked out the way it did. But all of that brings us to the final principle of all these uh, in terms of finding God's will. And that is, in the end, we need to trust God with the outcome. When we make a decision and we know it's consistent with God's will in the Bible... A decision that we prayed about and sought advice for, we can trust God from that point on to take over. God is working in the world to accomplish His purposes, and He takes our free decisions and weaves them together in creative ways. There can be times when God does provide specific instructions. I think those times are rare. Most of the time, we need to make wise decisions. He doesn't want us wasting time trying to find the perfect option. In many decisions, he grants us freedom to choose based on our own preferences. He just asks that we make the wisest decision we know how. With the Bible, the advice of friends, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I believe we can make the decisions we need to make. We're responsible. We're responsible to make the best decisions we can, and then we trust God. But we are going to make mistakes. We may even sin. And what's remarkable is the way that our creative God brings good even out of our poor choices. He brings success out of failure, and he brings hope even from disappointment. And that is something to be grateful for. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have not left us entirely on our own, and we're also grateful that you've given us freedom. You have given us in the Bible so much of what we need to know about life, And uh, we have insights there that uh, often are so much wiser than the wisdom we would get from the world. And Father, in many of our lives, you put people, wise people, who are able to advise us in difficult and challenging times. Father, I pray that we would look to these principles and look not to find a blueprint, but to find the game plan that you have for our lives. May we enjoy the freedom and trust you in whatever decisions we make and the experiences that we are in in life. We pray this in Jesus' name.